and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. Today, I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about resistant weeds on our show today, and I know that's the conversation pretty much 52 weeks out of the year for many farmers. Oh man, what are we going to do with this particular resistant weed? And for the most part, we're looking at, at least in corn and soybeans, we're looking at Roundup resistant weeds, but... Uh, the same would be true in other crops, but in other areas, we're talking about ALS resistance, or we're talking about HPPD resistance. So it seems like about every different herbicide family that we talk about, we end up looking at a resistance issue somewhere. So there's a lot of different ways to manage resistant weeds, and it doesn't necessarily have to all be with herbicides. So we'll talk about that a little bit on today's program. We'll also talk about whatever you want to talk about. Our phone lines are open at 844 844- 44 ag phd if you have an agronomic question we'll get to those today and and also if you want to email us that's a good way to go to radio at agphd.com is a way to reach us via email and when we think about uh, all the questions that are coming in it can really be about anything and uh, janelle if you want to jump into the ag phd mailbag i'll just start with a couple of questions here it's the mailbag All right, get this one from Lloyd, and Lloyd must be out pulling some tissue samples because he asked, which lab are we using? And he said specifically, what lab do you use in Omaha for tissue sampling? We're we're typically using Midwest Labs. That's been who we've worked with with our farm for many years, and uh, that's been – they've done a nice job for us. There's certainly other labs out there as well that you could use. Um, so that would be one to check out midwestlabs.com is their website. And a kind of a, a related question, this one comes from Chris. He said, I'm looking into grid soil sampling, and I remembered you talking on your podcast about better pricing through your account. Is that possible? Well, it wouldn't technically be through uh, through our farm's account or anything like that, Chris, but uh, you can do soil sampling through the Ag PhD Soils app. And yes, you do get a discounted rate versus if you just sent in a sample yourself. Um, so that would be the way to do that. Ag PhD Soils, you can set up your free, um, you, know, you can set your farm up for free in Ag PhD Soils, and then you just pay for the soil sampling. And if you need any supplies or anything like that, you can order it through there. So it's kind of just a handy tool for us that that we made available for others. So it wouldn't just be us doing grid sampling on our farm. Uh, anybody can can utilize that too. Thanks for that. Uh, get this one in from Josh, and he said, your field day this year was very interesting for a first-timer. And uh, first of all, before I get into the question, Josh, thank you. Really appreciate that. Really glad glad you came to the field day. Uh, and I got Brian on the, the phone with these traveling right now, but, but Brian's jumping in too. So I'm just diving into a mailbag question here. It's from Josh in South Dakota. He said, I had to leave early, but now I've got a good idea what I need to navigate towards next year. So I'm sending along a mid-season soil sample that we pulled, or we pulled several soil samples here. And I got a couple of questions for you. In one field, field T, uh, we, we got our potassium base saturation to jump, which is pretty cool. We did a spring application. We jumped from the mid-1s on percent base saturation K up into the low threes. So that's awesome that we saw that response. However, we're not seeing the same response out of our lime application in field R. We put on lime and we still have a, a pH that's down in the 
upper fours to mid fives and our hydrogen percentage is really high. Is it just due to the, the dry weather that we've had or is there some other reason that ag lime wouldn't show up quite as quickly? We put the ag lime on last fall. A lot of people figure it takes three years for the ag lime to fully break down, so nothing to get too worried about. Uh, I would say, though, you could look back at your ag lime and see how fine that material was. If you have the score on that, the finer the material, the faster the breakdown. So that could be part of why you're having the slow breakdown. But yeah, it takes heat and it takes rain to break that lime down. And like I say, most people figure three years. It could potentially take five years, though. So just have a little bit of patience. I, I will tell you, I got too impatient on our own farm. And then I overlimed, and it was my fault. I'm not going to blame Darren. It was all me. And I screwed up. And then it cost us more money because we had to uh, then try to fix that problem, putting elemental sulfur out to try to bring the pH back down again. So anyway, I, I don't know how much you put on or what the score was of that or anything, uh, but you might need a little bit more lime. But I know for sure that the lime you put out last fall is not fully broken down. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Yeah, if there's follow-up uh, soil samples here over the next couple of years, like Brian was mentioning with that lime, a lot of times you see that express over the next two or three years. So that's something to keep keep watching. Got this one from Marilyn, and she said, We enjoy watching your show on RFD TV. We'd like to put down some new alfalfa seeding. We're going to sell the hay to cattle, horse, sheep, goat customers. We're concerned about seeding one of our fields because it has a lot of water hemp. We don't know if this weed will be as heavy a pressure next year or if this weed is harmful for the animals to eat. But we know the weed seeds are in the ground and they're going to be a problem every year. So just wondering if you had any idea if this is a harmful weed to animals and what you would do if you were seeding new alfalfa into a field that has a water hemp issue. Well, it, alfalfa is one of the toughest crops to kill water hemp in. So I don't like that if I've got a bad water hemp problem. I don't know in terms of harming the livestock or anything like that, but what I do know is it can be devastating to your alfalfa stand and to any crop that you would raise. So if I was going to raise alfalfa, I'd make absolutely sure I put out the full rate of Eptam. That's got to be incorporated uh, before you plant do that and that'll help but post-emerge there are no great options for control there's roundup there's buckdrill there's butyrac but none are perfect no it's certainly a challenge but yeah that's uh, one of the things you have to think about picking the right field to be to be putting into alfalfa thanks for the question marilyn we are taking your calls and questions throughout the show today at 844 44 ag phd and one of the challenges we're going to try to solve today is resistant weeds we'll talk more about that right after this stay tuned no matter what time of the year it is on your farm with a bear plus rewards program earning and redeeming rewards are always in season because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year you earn three dollars per acre in cashback rewards cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. 
understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today we're talking about resistant weeds we get so many requests all really pretty much all throughout the year hey can you talk more about resistant weeds can you talk more about resistant weeds so obviously it's a problem that we're all facing in agriculture so there are many things that we can do we'll talk about some herbicide solutions we'll talk about some non-herbicide solutions too and we welcome your calls and questions at 844 844- 44 ag phd start off with nick hustedy he is with fmc out in indiana nick how you doing doing well how are you you know we are doing well too and and we already had a question come in today i'm on a plant alfalfa and i've got water hemp and i got nothing to kill it with and man it's a struggle in some of these crops i, I think you know we look at crop rotation that's got to be part of this equation and and choosing the right fields for the right crops but let's start talking about what you can do so we've got fields this year that look pretty hairy out there nick what what do we do this fall and what do we do into next spring if we're going into corn or soybeans or really any other crop you want to mention yeah, so starting now, you know, we're always thinking about um, weed seed return back into the soil seed bank. So one thing growers can do now is go out with a weed hook and uh, hook those plants out and carry them out of the field. Of course, that's not very practical when you cover thousands of acres. But if you've got a few escapes here and there, I think it's, you know, worth the time invested to go ahead and take those out of the field. But we're always thinking about, you know, seed production for lady mergers too, especially as you get further south. Um, you know, you can see a flush of palmer after you harvest your corn crop or maybe even your sweeping crop. So, you know, germoxoning those out would be a good thing, and that's going to influence how much seed return uh, this year, which should hopefully uh, set us up on the right foot for next year. Yeah, I remember as a kid or dad, if we ever had a, a weed that got out going in the field and he's, he's ready to go combine, it'd be, all right, come on, guys, uh, we need you to walk a little bit here in this field hit this patch or that patch there. But fortunately, we never had any train wreck fields that 
that we were out in like that. But but you're right. If we can pull those weeds out, don't let those seeds spread through the field, that's a good thing. What about fall herbicide options, Nick? I'm, I'm betting you get a lot of questions on those too. Yeah, we sure do. And, you know, when we think about fall herbicide applications, uh, Maris Hill is typically a driver because we do get some fall emergence there. But we can do a nice job uh, hitting those plants that have emerged and actually lay some residual down as well with like an Authority XL type of treatment. Um, you've got several different Authority products that would fit specific weed spectrums, but certainly an effective burn down with a residual material is going to help you start clean and uh, get off on the right foot for next year. In terms of uh, water hemp, you know, our, our spring emergers typically aren't going to start going in my geography until about the third week of April. So with those fall applications, a lot of time our, our residual is kind of worn out. Right, right. And, you know, that's another thing when we think about this, the timeliness of when some of these weeds get started. And I know there'll be times where I hear growers say, well, my pre-emerge didn't work on this, but we have to be realistic about how long those products are going to last if we're counting on control all the way through the season. We we often see the, the post-emerge residual options really helping us extend that window. With those fall treatments, are you then putting on an early spring application, or are you just saying, if I did a fall, I might get by with just that early post-emerge residual? Yeah, so it depends a little bit upon, like, planning date and early spacing. So we have several folks that are pushing the envelope for earlier soybean planning, and I think if we, you know, get a decent start to the growing season in those early April beans, and we've got maybe 15-inch rows, we could potentially get by with, uh, you know, an in-crop application with residual. Uh, but if we're running wider rows, um, you know, typically it's going to take longer to get the canopy. So that's where we definitely would want a residual application at plant and then another one in that early post-application to try to not let those weeds get out of the ground because we know how difficult they are to control once they're up. Yeah, there's just no simple, easy button of you do this one thing and you're good for the whole year. It takes a combination approach and certainly it takes a lot of thought. That's one of the reasons we love having Nick Hustedy on with FMC. Nick, we could talk all day about this. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much, and we'll stay in touch. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Let's head down to Mississippi. We've got Jason Bond with us at Mississippi State. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Yes, sir. All right. I was listening to Nick talk there, and he said about the third week of April where he's at in Indiana, they start seeing pigweeds showing up out in the fields. Do you ever get a break from it in Mississippi? Are they a year-round threat, or is there a little window where you've got a month or two, you don't have to be out spraying pigweed? No, there's certainly, you know, during the fall or winter months, they're not a problem for us. I have seen them emerge as early as January, but that, you know, very isolated just when we had a year with some very warm temperatures that got the soil temperature up uh, in the winter time. So usually, you know, rule of thumb down here, you know, with the cotton acreage that we have, we tell people that, you know, usually start seeing pigweed, in our case, palm amaranth emerge about the time you get start uh, getting ready to start planting cotton. So the soil temperature, 60, 65 degrees is usually what we, when we start to expect to seal. I know when we talk about resistant weeds, pigweed certainly gets the lion's share of the talk, but in Mississippi, what other weeds are, are real big ones that you say herbicide resistance has really hurt us in terms of trying to keep these weeds out of our fields? We have Palmer amaranth, of course, and then there's multiple resistant Italian ryegrass and then everything else is a distant third to those two. 
So those, those are far and away the two primary weeds that we have. Of course, very different with Palmer being a summer annual and Italian ryegrass being a winter annual. And so then you, you referenced year-round fight. And between the two of those, it definitely is a year-round fight to try to keep our fields clean. Now, normally when we start thinking about grass, we, we just think, well, we've got Roundup. Roundup's wonderful on grass control, but if we have resistance, that can be a real challenge. So what, what products are still working on the Italian ryegrass? So we basically have two post-emergence products that will work uh, on the species or the populations that we have, and that's clethodim. And we do actually have clethodim resistance in several counties in Mississippi, but for the most part, that's still a pretty standard treatment. And then we have paraquat. And so those are really hard to uh, develop programs around. And so in years where the fall is conducive to it, we really rely on fall applications of residual herbicides to manage that species. Wow. Yeah, that... That is uh, that is pretty limited, and when you say resistance is already starting to build to the clethodim, if paraquat is your only option, I, I can imagine growers probably aren't super excited about that. It's not maybe anybody's favorite well, product. Is. Right, and, and the time of year is wrong, too. You know, Generally, when we're needing to spray Italian ryegrass, the temperatures are still moderate, at least, if not cold at times, and you know, paraquat works better you know, in warmer temperatures. And then two, it's usually still wet when those applications need to be made. And so we'll use a lot of aerial applications for those pre-plant burn down treatments. And my preference is for paraquat not to be sprayed out of an airplane, just considering weed control, not, not, a, not to mention the other things that come along with that. And uh, so we certainly do spray paraquat with planes, but my preference for the for the control would be that we don't. So it's just not a great choice for us there on ryegrass. No, no. I, and I know there are a lot of other things that we can do, and we were talking about herbicides here, but how, how big a help has crop rotation been? Are there some things that you can rotate to that can help you with these weeds? Rotation, not so much. Uh, obviously, the crop that we consider uh, when we think about ryegrass is wheat. And you know, for the last several years, we've had a really, really small wheat crop in our state, even by our standards. Had a little bit more this year, but you know, not not any kind of uh, ranking on the the states producing wheat. We'd be a very, very small wheat state. Uh, but then in our summer annual row crops, corn would be the number one weed that we would be worried about uh, ryegrass in. The broadleaf crops seem to be a little bit more tolerant to the the yield loss associated with interference from that one, but really not. The management really doesn't change uh, depending on the row crop. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in the resistant weed talk. I'm glad you brought up Italian ryegrass, too. That's one that needs more attention. Talking with Jason Bond here at Mississippi State. Jason, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. 
New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPHD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI-listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about resistant weeds and just enjoyed the conversation with Jason Bond down at Mississippi State about what's going on in the South with well, obviously Palmer pigweed we talk about a lot, but Italian ryegrass and what a challenge that is to have a grass and also a winter annual become resistant to many of the chemistries out there. In fact, he said they're down to two products that they're using, Clethodem, which is starting to see some resistance issues of its own, and Paraquat, which is quite a challenge to spray once it cools down in the fall. So not an easy task there. Kind of want to hear what's going on in the north, though. We've got Christy Sprague on with us right now from Michigan State. Christy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Darren. So, okay, pigweed, everybody talks about pigweed, but I know there's more weeds. I know mare's tail is a challenge in Michigan. What are the toughest resistant weeds that you fight? 
Um, I would say that probably, like you said, Mayor's Tale is probably number one. And right now, uh, up in Michigan, we're really starting to see water hemp become quickly number two as um, one of the tougher resistant weeds that we're dealing with. Okay, talk to us a little bit about the mare's tail, because again, here's a weed that can be a winter annual, and that presents a different challenge. Do you, is it mostly a winter annual mare's tail that you're fighting, or are you seeing some spring germination as well? So it's really interesting. We're seeing a lot of spring-summer emergence of mare's tail populations in Michigan, so that really throws a wrench into um, kind of managing it, because if it was just a winter annual, we know we could really do a really nice burn down and you know, have nice clean fields throughout the season. But we've, um, over the last several years, seen mare's tail emergence basically all through the spring up until July. So pretty much every month uh, in Michigan where there's not snow on the ground, we're seeing some mare's tail emergence. Yeah, I was teasing Jason. I said, do you ever get a month off here? And he said, not really. We've got Palmer in the spring and summer. We've got Italian ryegrass in the fall and winter. And you're kind of saying the same thing other than snow, which I don't think even as tough a battle as resistant weeds can be in Mississippi. I don't think they're wishing for the snow cover that you get in Michigan some years. But, uh, okay, so talk to us about this mare's tail then. If we've got it coming in the spring, are you having – good luck at all with any of the pre-emerge herbicides or are we totally looking for crop canopy as quick as we can get it and whatever possible rescue treatment we can use? Yeah. So, you know, depending on what a person's system is, and I'll just kind of talk about soybeans, but um, really in a no-till system, we're making sure guys have options post-emergence. So, you know, there's obviously anything where they can use glufosinate, so the Liberty Link traits, whether it's in Enlist beans or Extend Flex beans. Um, And then there's some other options, obviously, with the Enlist one for um, the Enlist beans and then um, some of the Extendamatch or other dicamba, registered dicamba products for uh, in-season in some of those soybeans. So um, we're getting pretty good control initially with um, some Metribuzin down, but again, really focusing on having that extra option post-emergence helps. We get a lot of our listeners that talk about cover crop and that they get a good cover crop established and they're having pretty good luck choking out the mare's tail. What's been your experience with that? Yeah, so we've had really good luck with, particularly if we've been doing some planting green uh, treatments. So we'll plant into a standing rye cover crop where we've also done it with wheat and then burn down that cover crop about a week later. That'll usually, if we have a good um, stand of wheat or rye, um, that'll usually get us about three to four weeks control. And then we can come in there with that post-emergence application of something that's effective and usually have pretty good season-long control. So we've been able to do that for about three to four years. Yeah, it's really interesting that if you're paying attention around the country, because weed challenges like Christie's talking about here in Michigan, we're seeing those same things in other areas too, and maybe they aren't as far along. Maybe you're already past that and you've got some other solutions. If you're hearing this and say, oh, we found something else that worked, please share it. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show here. But boy, Christy, we really love we, we really love the chance to talk to you. I love talking about what's going on up in Michigan and, and uh, appreciate it. Hopefully we'll catch up again soon down the road. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Let's head over to Ohio, just right across the border here, and talk with Mark Laux. Mark, does that sound familiar to you, this mare's tail problem becoming uh, a spring-summer issue now as well? 
Oh yeah, I think it has for us for a while, really. Um, you know, kind of took, kind of went from a fall, um, strictly fall, merge a little spring, and then it went to fall, some spring, and then we actually get a big flush in June, like mid June, we'll get a big flush depending on rainfall. So it's kind of been that way for all. I would say for a while, I would say that we have, um, you know, great control for it right now. So I think we're seeing less mare's tail, um, depending on how people are managing it, you know, and one of the problems is they're taking some good technology and probably mismanaging it, which will break it here at some point. But, um, yeah, so I see a lot of clean fields in certain parts of the state right now that don't have any mirrors still in them at all. Hey, let me throw a technology at you, something that's been used a little different, 2,4-D, with the whole Enlist soybean system. I was talking with a corn breeder today, and he said this new power core Enlist trait that the Corteva folks are bringing to the market. He, he just asked me, he said, how big a deal is 2,4-D in corn going to become? Do you see that as being part of the solution, or is this one of those technologies you were talking about, Mark, that maybe needs to get used a little different? And corn, I mean, I think, you know, our emphasis really has been, um, we have a lot of good herbicides for use in corn, I think, although, you know, in the case of water, hemp, we're breaking some of those too. But, I mean, we really see the value of the 2,4-D technology in, in soybeans. Um, that's not to say, I mean, we do, we've always been a, a pretty big dicamba state in corn, I guess, you know, um, the safe and dicamba products. So you could see the 2,4-D sort of slotting in there in that same type of, uh, situation i i think you know as wheat scientists we're always concerned um you know you start to see overuse across crop years which is you know even more of an issue and if you have you know the weeds that are a problem for us mare's tail water hemp giant ragweed common ragweed in areas you know we're going to go after them with post herbicides and so you have potential to overuse something like 2,4-D every year so that's that's a problem you talked about the ragweed species, and with those, we we find them in different areas of the country, too. Is it giant ragweed that's becoming more of a problem now, or is common ragweed just as much of a challenge? No, giant ragweed's a big issue. So we've had giant ragweed for a long time, and it's been spreading to the west. And so if you go back, when I was a grad student in Illinois in the 80s, giant ragweed stayed in the fence rows in Illinois, and now it's all over the place, really. And then I know there's places in Wisconsin that really have some issues with it now too. Um, and I know even in what, in Southern Minnesota, right? There's some, so it's been spreading, um, that way, um, common ragweed. And also I think to the South and then, uh, common ragweed is pockets. My interpretation of that is it's pockets. Like we have a pocket of common ragweed that was hugely ALS resistant back in the late nineties up in Northwest Ohio. And then we have a pocket down in, in North, far Northeast and then far Southwest. And then the rest of the state, this is going to sound really strange. Seems to have seems to have sort of eradicated it. That, like so, like in our plots, our research plots on our research farm, we've really struggled to keep common ragweed in the mix. And then we have these other areas where it has three-way resistance. So I, I view it more as a a pocket thing. Whereas um, giant ragweed probably is in in some states further west. Um, and the, one of the differences in giant ragweed is it's an early season emerger, like in Iowa and I think in Minnesota. And for us, it's a you know comes up all the way through early July. So uh, but I think it's been adapting as you go from east to west to do more of that continuous germination. Yeah, that that really gets to be a challenge when we have weeds that pop up later because then all of a sudden our prees are not giving us the protection that we, we hoped for because they're starting to run out. Do you see, is metribuzin kind of a critical component in that, adding that in for another mode of action, or, or are you seeing a, a bigger benefit with PPOs or something else? Um, for, you know, 
we for Maristail, for example, we you know the PPO with the metribuzin is good. Metribuzin's got decent activity on water hemp, although there's some populations with triazine resistance, and then good activity on Maristail. It's kind of eh on common rag. You get something out of it, and it's worthless on giant rag. Okay. Right. So it kind of it kind of depends. Um, but I think metribuzin for us made a comeback. We got into big Maristail issues, and then when we didn't have before, we had the better post options. You know, the, we found that the best residual control of Maristail was mixing PPOs with Metribuzin. Yeah, the post options and the, the new options on the table or different options on the table have sure been helpful. Uh, we're talking with Mark Lauchs here with Ohio State. Mark, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire Herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. 
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about resistant weeds, but also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, of course, radio at agphd.com. All right. Uh, the resistant weed talk is is quite interesting. And as you heard just this brief sampling of this discussion as we travel around the country from uh, Mississippi to, to Indiana over to Ohio and Michigan. And of course, uh, we're, we're in the northwestern side in South Dakota. There's there's just some different weeds that we fight. And the the key thing here is to not get behind because if you do, it's really hard to catch up, and there just aren't very many rescue options for some of these different weeds. And certainly as you get into uh, certain crops, it gets to be more challenging. Uh, got Brian back on with us right now. Brian, what would you say in our region the worst resistant weeds are? It, it's got to be pigweed at the top, doesn't it? Yeah, water hemp. So water hemp, palmer pigweed, that's basically I consider that one. That's number one. Number two is kochia. Yeah, when we were traveling around the country, we heard about Italian ryegrass down in the south that uh, Jason Bond of yep, Mississippi we have State none of said. That here. He said Palmer number one, Italian ryegrass number two, and everything else a distant third. So yeah, when you get something that just dominates the landscape like that, that that's a big deal. And then we heard over in Michigan and Ohio that mare's tail is really adapting and becoming more Mare's-tail. of a spring yeah. summer emerger, not the the fall emergence like we're used to seeing and all of a sudden now that gets to be a challenge when it's popping up so late all the way out into july that's that's pretty scary for mare's tail well yeah but i mean we do have ways to control these weeds but it starts with good pre's so you've got to have a great pre slash burn down program and if you do that then you're well on your way to having great yields because you have the great weed control. But I would throw out, like with the water hemp deal, that's by far and away number one where we're farming here in eastern South Dakota. And that, I'd put out three pre-emerge herbicides for soybeans or three three pre-emerge modes of action at least. And then I'd come with two more modes of action early post. And what I mean by that is a group 15 early post along with another PPO uh, hopefully you did a PPO early, like uh, Valor Authority, but then early post-emerge, I'd encourage somebody to use Promesifen, that'd be Flexstar, or uh, the active ingredient found in Cadet. So if you want to buy Premix, you could do Warrant Ultra, that's a Group 15 and a PPO, or you could do Anthem Max, that's a Group 15 or and a PPO. So it doesn't cost much money either. I'm not talking about spending a fortune. Between the three pre's I want you to do, and the two modes of action early post, I'm talking 20 bucks. So it's not even two bushels of beans at today's prices, but you will have just unbelievably better control if you'll just make those two applications. And you'll get your two bushels back really fast. I mean, really fast. And the other thing I think that gets undersold when we start talking about weed control is just the long-term ramifications of having weeds go to seed. Anytime we've ever let anything go to seed on our farm, we're fighting it for five years. Five years where we got to spend more on chemical every year for five years. And you know darn well, if you got a whole bunch of weeds coming up, what happened to your yield? Well, your yield went down. Well, I don't want that. I want more expense and less income for five years. That's no good. So we got to do a better job 
in terms of control on a lot of farms. And even like on our own farm, yeah, we're doing good out in the fields, but we're not doing good on the edges of the fields. And that's another thing that I think just unfortunately gets forgotten in a lot of cases. And I'm unhappy with what we're doing even on our own farm with that. We got to step that up and, and do better. So it's hard when you don't have crop canopy on the edges of fields. That's where a lot of weeds get going. And I see it. I'm, I'm driving through Minnesota today, for example, and I see it all over the place. I'm looking uh, right along a uh, uh, railroad line right now as I'm driving. It's solid water hemp. Uh, out in a field. There's a, there's a field uh, right next to that. Solid water hemp on the outside edge of the field. So, you know, we just we got to do more to stop some of these resistant weeds because otherwise it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. Yeah, we just can't tolerate those issues when they're small problems. And if we have a zero tolerance, then yep. then you don't let them become big issues because these things are prolific seed producers too. That's that's right. the other thing. So many of these weeds, like you talk about pigweed species, whether it's palmer or water hemp, my goodness, those things can produce a ton of seed that, like you mentioned, we're going to fight for years and years to come. Right. It's mainly that, the, the pigweed. I mean, if you look at mare's tail, you look at kochia, by comparison, they're not going to put near the seeds on every, on every plant that a water hemp or palmer pigweed will. But even so, I mean, there's still lots of seeds from every plant. But anyway, yeah, so those, those are the worst ones. And there are plenty more that are resistant or we have resistance issues, but those are, those are really the big ones. All right, Brian, uh, you want to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag, or are there any other weeds you want to discuss? Well, I, I would just say in terms of resistant weeds in general, a lot of people start freaking out and uh, getting all worried that, oh, my gosh, it's a disaster. Look, it's not a disaster. We can kill any weed out there. We have options. But unfortunately, if you get behind the eight ball and you don't get a good pre-emerge plan out there, then there's no catching up. And you saw it this year for the people that didn't put pre's out or didn't put enough pre's out, then they tried to go post-emerge with, I don't care what they use, Dicamba, Liberty, 2,4-D, Roundup, almost anything, and it just didn't work that well. Why? Because the weather was against us this year. And then in some cases, we didn't get the best coverage or, I mean, there were, there were a number of different problems, but my point is simply this, there are no super weeds. There's no such thing as a super weed. And I hear ads about super weeds and all this, no, there's no super weed, even Palmer pigweed. I can control Palmer pigweed perfectly on my farm if I set my mind to it and I invest it a little time and money, but you got to start early. So if you know you have a resistant weed problem, that's what I'd be talking to your retailer about or your agronomist about and say, look, I don't want the kind of good program. I want the eradication program. I want to eliminate every single one of them. Tell me what I got to do and let's talk about cost. But what I'm trying to say is if you do the right program, like I just suggested in beans, you're not spending a fortune. It's not that bad. Hey, keep in mind, while crop prices have doubled from last year, Herbicide prices are only going up about 10% other than Roundup. Yeah, Roundup's gone up a little more, but that's only up about $2 an acre. So it's not the end of the world. And so my point is your return on investment for weed control is way better this year. And what looks like will probably be next year because you can already sell new crop 2022 corn or soybeans for pretty good prices, for example, or wheat. So I'm, I'm just saying 
uh, get the weeds under control, it's going to pay. All right, weed control is certainly a, a big, big important thing, and we can definitely take more questions about that too. 844-44-AG-PHD. We've got a number of other questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Let's dive back in here. we got this one from Caden in South Dakota. He said, uh, I really love the Ag PhD program. I know you give out scholarships from time to time. Just wondering, uh, do you have any scholarship opportunities that I could be applying for now or in the near future? No, we don't have anything right now. What we do, uh, the last few years, we've done a collegiate-style agronomy workshop. And so this year, we basically made it a summer field event, and we're going to do the same thing next summer as well. But we give away a whole bunch of scholarships at that, and we just like rewarding people who show the initiative to learn. So if you want to come and learn about agronomy, and have the chance to win a college scholarship. We give away a lot of them, and it'll be again next year. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one from Dan. He said, I was listening to a recent one of your programs on the radio about boron. I thought I'd chime in. Uh, in years past, as a potato agronomist, we defoliated our thin-skinned potatoes with three to four gallons of boron through the ground rig, and it worked pretty well. I'm not sure why scientifically, but it seemed to help our skins set quicker. Occasionally, we'd go back with Reglone or Rely if needed. Don't worry, Brian. Our area gets lots of rain to flush out any extra boron that we have each winter. Well, thanks for the comment, Dan. We may talk about that a little bit more after the break, too. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. AgPhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. 
That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can call with your agronomic question, or if you want to talk about something that's going on in your farm, that's fine too. Or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, uh, get a, an email to talk about. Yeah, this one's from Austin. And he said, we were busy trucking this year and unable to attend the field day, but we've been there in the past. Uh, in the past, you've had what you call the first step trials, where you had a bunch of high yield growers managing crops like corn and soybeans. And you've detailed kind of step by step what products were applied and at what, excuse me, at what growth stage and so forth. I'm just wondering, do you have a copy of your first step trials from this year? I've attended a lot of field days in the past. I love uh, checking things out, but I was kind of bummed I couldn't couldn't do that this year. Just wondering if there was any of that type of data that you could share. Well, this year we did okay, things. So first, oh, oh, good, Brent. Yeah, I, was just, I, I I can answer that. I was just going to say this year we did not do those plots, and our arrangements with those high yield farmers in the past has always been we're not going to disseminate that information across the country because they're very protective of a lot of their information and stuff. So we just have said, look, we'll talk about it only at the field day and at our winter workshops, and that's it. So, uh, no, we don't have that data, but I will tell you, like, it, with one of the talks that I gave this year at the field day, we went through a couple of the farmers' programs. Well, actually, one was mine uh, with corn in the past, and uh, and then we went through some stuff with, like, Matt Miles' program because, uh, well, anyway. It was just, it was very interesting with some of the yields and some of the applications that got made. And so we're always trying to learn from that. And kind of like we said, well, like we've said every year with those those types of plots, so some of those high-yield farmers, they, they well, all of them farm in different areas of the country. And when they have plots on our farm, they're learning something. You know, our weather conditions are different, our soil's different, all these things. And humidity and everything else. So they always learn some things. We pick some things up from them. But, it, yeah, it's it's very educational. We're happy that we did that over the years, but we did not do that this year. All right. Thanks for the question. Hope to see you at our next field day. By the way, that's July 28th, 2022. Hope you can make it then. I got this one from Scott in Australia, and he said, Guys, love your show. I've learned a lot since I found your program about 18 months ago. I'm planting sweet corn, and in the spring, my yield is quite good, about 40,000 saleable cobs per hectare from a planting rate of 60,000. 
When I plant late in the summer and into the autumn, my yields drop a lot, sometimes by half. My fertility is the same. Just wondering, as the days get shorter and colder, is there not enough sunlight to grow my crop? I'm wondering if I cut my population to get more sun through the canopy, would that help me? wonder what your thoughts are. Well, I doubt that cutting planting population would help because it's the same thing that we find here. If we plant early, we get more yield, period. So, and, But every area is different, so it's hard to just make a blanket statement that early, paying always, early planting always pays. But, you know, just through trial and error, that's basically what you found. That's also what we've found over the years. And I, I, I can just tell you this, when we planted late, I don't care if we've increased populations, decreased them, whatever, there's still yield loss. But quite often what we do say, like in our region where we farm, the later we plant, the more we get concerned, like with soybeans, for example, that they're not going to grow as tall and shade the row as quickly. So we like to plant a little bit thicker, so that helps us. But it's still, we're still way lower in terms of average yield when we plant late. Early planting on every crop in our region pays, and it sounds like that's what you're finding too. Thanks for the question. Thanks for checking out our program as well. We really appreciate that. Uh, Brian, get kind of a funny one. This is from Russ in Minnesota. He said, this is too good a story not to share with you guys. I was at your field day, and I was way on the west side of the, the field day site, listened to the national anthem, and began walking to the food tent, but I decided to take a tour to the Morton Center building. Entering the west doors of the building, took a quick right turn, following another gentleman into the men's room. I was about six steps behind him. Well, as he walked into the restroom, loud enough for everyone to hear, his cell phone said, you have reached your destination. He said everyone was chuckling to themselves until somebody blurted out, boy, that GPS is really accurate. And we were all laughing really loud. Thought you would appreciate this story. Hey, thanks, Russ. We really appreciate it. Number one, we appreciate you coming to the, the field day. And also, you know, the thing I like about your story too, Russ, is everybody's happy. Everybody's having a good time, even in kind of an awkward situation. So that, that was cool. Uh, okay, Brian, got this one from Joel in Wisconsin. He's got a fertilizer question. He said, I, I got some advice from someone that I could set my corn planter up to do two-by-two two liquid starter application, but instead of going two inches deep into the soil, just running liquid fertilizer on top of the ground out the back of the row unit. Uh, two inches off to the side of, of where I planted the seed. Now, this goes against everything I've been taught about starter fertilizer, but I got mixed opinions here. Had one one person tell me it was fine to do as long as I was just using nitrogen and had another one that told me uh, the P and K will not get to where I'm going to need it if I just drop it on top of the ground. Just wondering, what are your thoughts about N, P, K, and micros if I did it this particular way? Yeah, it sounds like both of his pieces of advice were absolutely correct. I would be just fine dribbling it on top if it was nitrogen. I would not be fine if it was P and K because that's not going to get down into the root zone very well. Now, that's not to say it can't get down a little bit in the ground, especially the K. But even if it gets a little bit in the ground, you're still really dependent on getting roots there to extract that fertilizer. Well, if it's... you. I appreciate that he said the word starter fertilizer in this. Well, how is that a starter fertilizer when they're not going to, it's never, the P and the K is never going to get to that root zone until you have roots growing there, which would probably be a month after planting, at least, maybe two months. So 
I, yeah, it really defeats the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. At that point, you might as well just throw some dry out there. So it's it's not you're not getting the bang for the buck out of that liquid fertilizer that you're expecting. So just put it down into the ground, and you'll be much, much, much happier on P and K and micros. Hey, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Joel. Got this one from Jonathan in Paraguay, and he said, "I've been." Been checking out your program for a while now, and I love it. Very informational and educational. Thanks for doing this. He said, we're relatively new to farming, and we are doing our first precision fertility this year on a small field. But we've got a question for you about the phosphorus testing. Now, you often talk about P1 and P2 Bray tests, or the Olson test that you see. In our area, the labs want to do Malik 1 tests. I'm wondering how reliable are Malik 1 or even Malik 3 tests, and are there certain pH conditions you'd recommend them, like you talk about with the Bray and Olson tests? Okay, so the Olson test we really like for higher pH ground. When it's above a 7 for pH, we think the Olson test is a little bit more accurate. The Malik 3 or even the Malik 1 a lot of times might show us a phosphorus level that is going to be more, but it may not necessarily be available because of some of the tie-up. So I wouldn't say that it's bad, uh, you know, the Malik 3 or Malik 1 phosphorus test. Um, I, I'm perfectly fine using it on our own farm, but we just know that, hey, if that pH is high, um, it might give us a figure that, we might not be able to fully extract that year. But nevertheless, it's, they're, they're all fine tests. You just have to uh, kind of keep in mind what they're showing. So the Olson test and the wheat bray test, or P1, they're only showing you what's available for phosphorus today, whereas the Malik and the P2, or strong bray test, they're trying to show you what's available today and what should theoretically come available during the course of the next growing season. So how accurate is that? You know, let's put it this way. There's no soil test that's perfectly accurate, okay? They're, they're, they're using extraction methods. Every lab seems to differ slightly in, in those methods. So I wouldn't count on that it's going to be perfect, but it's going to give you a general idea of where you're at, and that's really, quite frankly, all we need. So, for example, if I look at the Malik 3 and it's telling me, 20 and the Olson's telling me 30, yet my goal is I want to be at 100 like on my farm, um, I know that I'm way off. Uh, so I, I know I'm not even in the ballpark. But anyway, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate that. And, and yeah, it really varies as we travel around the world and talk to folks who farm all over what's available for soil testing services and labs and so forth. But we applaud you for taking the steps to try to be more precise with your fertility applications and for, for looking into doing more soil sampling. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.